Oh boy. There's um, literally a crying baby in the house opposite me and the baby is currently screaming. I don't know if you can I keep saying that I'm waiting for the trucks to pass. <laughs> anyway. I don't know, like what they've left their door open as well. So I'm tempted to like open my window, but like shut your door. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. It would. Coming up on today's show, how satirical news website The Batuta Advocate Trojan Horse Dust Ball, plus a deep dive on that never-ending Kimye and Taylor Swift feud that Kim Kardashian has now weighed in on, and a pushback on the concept that you need to be using self-isolation for self-optimization. But first, Zara, before you tell me anything about your week or your recommendations, Let's actually set the scene for our listeners because this episode of Shameless is a first for us, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. For one, I'm sitting on my bed, though that's probably not a first for us. We've recorded in bedrooms before and in far more uncomfortable settings before, but we are not in the same room this week. I'm sure you can probably hear from the mics we are recording this remotely and it is a a, experience challenge. How are we going to go? I mean, I can see you through a video chat. It's nice to be in your bedroom and be in my bedroom at same time. I mean, it's a new frontier for Shameless, but I guess this is what we need to be doing to keep ourselves safe. We're not going to see each other face to face for a while, I don't think. So this is the only option. Had to go into office works and ask them how to fuck to record remotely. And here we are. And also sent like a million messages to people that are far better at technology than we are being like, so what the fuck do we do now? We're in lockdown, but we are here. And I guess the other thing we wanted to start with today is Firstly, a big thank you to everybody who got around our shamelessly isolated competition on Thursday. It was amazing to see how many of you are staying indoors and staying home. And I guess on that note, what we wanted to talk about very quickly before we talk about our weeks, Mish, is say that we think that we might be attacking the next few weeks, potentially months, in a different way to how we'd promised. Yeah, absolutely. So two weeks ago, we came on this podcast and said, we promised to make this a virus that should not be named Free Zone, in that we were going to talk about anything other than the virus for as long as we could. As you would all know, listening to this at home, the situation has changed over the last two weeks. Like two weeks ago, you and I were saying that from the comfort of our office, a metre apart, we were still working normally. Life was pretty much continuing as normal. We were just washing our hands more. Two weeks later, everything is completely different. And it's almost impossible not to talk about the situation that's going on. It would also be foolish to pretend that nothing's wrong and nothing's happening because it's what we're all living through right now. And we think the best way to be there for ourselves and you guys is to discuss it. We're never going to be giving you the latest headlines or giving you news updates per se, but we will be talking about how much life and culture has changed in light of the virus that shall not be named. 
Well, that's exactly right. And I think we focus so much of our content on culture and what's going on. It would be impossible for us to ignore it. That said, one thing I never, ever want anyone to think is that this won't be a safe space. Mm-hmm. That I think what we'll try and do and endeavor to do every single time we come on mic is to make this a space where you don't feel drained or dragged down by what's going on in the world. Like this will still be hopefully the light in your ears and we are committed to doing that, but we cannot possibly still do that and pretend that the world around us <laughs> isn't changing completely. Well, the- filter will be comforting right like no matter totally. what we want to be your friends in this situation we want to comfort you we're not here to scare you but when we're all living completely fucking different lives right now we'd be idiots to not talk about that exactly michelle how was your week my week was an interesting one i went into it already slightly depressed about the state of the world <laughs> but i had two dentist appointments which i do not think is a marker of a good week for really anyone the first one was just to get a general checkup the second one two days later was for an emergency with wisdom tooth extraction, which let me tell you, having a wisdom tooth pulled out while you're awake is not the funnest time. When you messaged me, hey, I just got my wisdom tooth pulled out in the chair. My legs went weak. Like Mm. I have such a, how bad am I with queasy stuff? Like so shit. I've always thought you're bad with this type of stuff. I did not realize Ollie, your boyfriend is even worse. Well, he was like squealing when I was telling him that you had that. And I was like, getting you to try and send him photos of your wisdom tooth to freak him out even more. He was like, I'm not sleeping tonight. I can't sleep tonight knowing this. What it was. I love that Ollie said he couldn't sleep because I struggled to sleep. But here I am, two dentist appointments and one less wisdom tooth back on the podcast in a little bit of pain, but mostly fine. Well done, Michelle. I have to say that is a pretty ridiculous week given everything that's been going on. Any recommendations for us? I want to recommend Tiger King on Netflix. This was something that plenty of listeners recommended in our Facebook group. And I was kind of like, what the fuck is that? It sounds creepy as shit but Mitch and I sat down to watch it in the midst of my wisdom tooth dilemma and it is wild for anyone who's not across it Tiger King is a documentary that looks at a variety of people who own large cats and I mean lions tigers ligers everything in between wait and liger Liger is a tiger crossed with a lion. Apparently, it's not very ethical to breed them together, but these people aren't really into animal ethics anyway. Did you know this before the documentary? Is this a fact that people know? I knew, I don't know. I knew it was going to be about big cats, but I didn't realize it was going to have two different murder plots throughout it. Oh my God. It's Zara. You have to watch it. I think it was episode three or four. There's like a murder twist, like an unsolved cold case murder that comes into the four. And Mitch and I were sitting there at about 1 30 a.m. with my fucking mouth throbbing with pain being like how the fuck is this possible like how is this a real story and how have they got all this footage from these absolute I I don't want to call them weirdos but they are the quirkiest characters I've ever seen in my life on this documentary series can I ask how long it goes for so I think there are eight episodes and they go for up to an hour each so it's a big commitment it's a big commitment but Mitch and I watched five episodes in one night so oh my god I was I would say losers and get a hobby but like (laughs) we all got nothing but time we've got nothing to do tell me about your week my week was much less dramatic than yours I must admit (laughs) I didn't have wisdom teeth though by the measure of dramatic weeks I would have to say we were in our most dramatic now surely Mm. because of what's going on in the world I do find myself going through this cycle of like despair and then sort of picking myself up back again and then sort of falling back into despair and we wrote about that in the column this week I think we have made such an effort every single week to come on the podcast and be chirpy and a different space but also we can't deny the fact that it's taking us a lot to steal ourselves and to get to those moods that they are not coming naturally totally it's also very interesting living 
with friends when we're all working from home. You learn so much about the people around you in scenarios like this, like their workplaces. Give what, me an example. Well, for one, my housemate is doing her um, video conferences in the morning at about nine o'clock in the morning. And she has like 20 people on her screen and she is doing them in front of a mirror. And I only realized this on Thursday. And so as I'm just like twiddling my thumbs, cooking my breakfast because I'm self-employed <laughs> and have no start time, I've just realized I'm probably in the background of her entire conference call every single morning. More than that, it's also like, I feel like a lot of people would relate to this idea of hearing people on the phone doing their jobs and being like, hang on, that's not you. Yeah, you don't. Uh, this all sounds so self-centered, but I never consider how other people run their jobs throughout the day while I'm doing mine. And to hear Mitch on all of these conference calls and like him doing deals and stuff from our courtyard, I'm like, wow, you're good at your job. Like, good on you. Yeah, that. I've noticed that with Oliver. that also we sung up the phone and I've been like, you sound like a wanker. Yeah, the they really do, don't they? Work phone calls. But other than that, it has been a pretty okay week. I've jumped on the app house party, like every, just about every everyone else in the world. For those who aren't on House Party, you'll be on it soon, I imagine, because it's literally everywhere. House Party is an app I actually downloaded back in 2015, I think, when it first launched. And my friends and I used to just use it. It's like a video chat. And I guess it's different to FaceTime because it's a bit easier to use. Like you Mm -hmm. just jump into the app and when you see somebody else in there, you just click on them and you can talk to them. The funniest part about the app though is if you don't lock your chat. So if I'm talking to you and we don't lock the chat, any one of either of our friends can jump in. What? Yeah, I know. crash the party. I was talking to my sister last night having like quite a serious conversation about what's going on in the world. And then one of my friends, Jordan, just jumps in being like, hey guys. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> we forgot to lock the chat. But I, that is also my recommendation for people who aren't on the app. And it could be embarrassing because I feel like half of Australia is already on that app. So it's like the most obvious recommendation ever. That is my recommendation. I love that so much. It is time to throw to our shameless hotline. We have two messages that we're going to feature this week, Zara. Now, before we get into the messages, we need to acknowledge something in that you and I royally suck at anything to do with technology and this hotline has been the biggest headache but we are persevering it's so embarrassing as well because it's like we are podcasters like we should be okay at this after two years (laughs) us being able to get this set up to record remotely has been one of the hardest things we've ever done it should be easy for the average person i don't know how we manage to fuck up everything we do what i want to know is why voicemail audio quality is still so fucking bad like last week when we put it in the episode i don't think we realized when we first listen to them how terrible the quality was and when we're putting the episode together we're like holy fuck we sound crystal clear then we throw the voicemails and it's like this grainy audio like it's out of the 1960s or something so we have changed we are not doing a voicemail anymore Zara and I spent way too much money at a telecommunications company that we will never ever be getting back so instead we now have a very fancy email address Zara where people can record their voicemail messages or record their voice recordings on their phone and then can attach that to an email. The email, if you want to call the shameless hotline, and I'm putting call (laughs) is hotline at shamelessmediaco.com. Lots of people have done that already. Two of those people, Zara, Anna and Taylor. Let's hear what Anna has to say first. Hello, shameless ladies. My name is Anna and I work in intensive care. Everyone is giving great shout outs to us doctors and nurses at the moment, but I'd like to shout out to our PSAs. These guys and girls are bloody legends. They run everywhere for us. They get our bloods. They send our bloods. They clean all of our equipment and they even clean 
the rooms of isolated patients who have coronavirus or who have a suspected diagnosis of coronavirus. These guys are so unappreciated and unrecognised. So I'd just like to shout out to all the PSAs who are working in the hospitals at the moment. You make the lives of us doctors and nurses so much easier. We love you and we recognise you. Um, also, thank you to Shameless for brightening our day because you ladies are bloody legends as well. Thank you. That is such a beautiful message, Anna. Thank you, first of all, for your thank you for Shameless. We don't feel like we deserve it anywhere near as much as the PSAs do, but it's a really good point. There are so many people that make a hospital run and run smoothly and efficiently and keep the community ticking over, and that extends far beyond doctors and nurses, of course, to the PSAs. So if you're a PSA or if you're someone who makes the hospital function right now, thank you so much. We extend our gratitude to all of you. You do incredible, incredible work. Yeah, I echo everything you just said, Mish. It was a very lovely message to receive in our hotline this week. On our hotline? In our hotline. In our On our hotline. Maybe it's a hot box. Oh my God, it's a hot box. It's not a hot box. What the fuck is a hot box? A hotline crossed with an inbox. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless hotbox. I've already called the email hotline at Shameless Media Co. I'm not going to make another email. You realize we have to pay for these emails. I'm not going to make another one called hot box i know but it's just a nickname if you guys want to call the hot box call the hotline hey the next message is from taylor hi shameless this is taylor from brisbane i am just hanging out today in my home office my makeshift home office getting some uni done and i happen to live downstairs from my grandparents i live in my grandparents granny flat and uh, my grandpa just came downstairs and he stood three meters from the door of my office, which I am mandating, and said, inmate number 626, requesting permission to speak, and then gave me a list of things that he wants me to pick up from the shop today. But I'm just thinking, I have been so worried about my grandparents, like I'm sure many people are, and it's just so nice that I get to still speak to him every day and he gets he has treating the situation with such brevity, even though he is also very scared, but because he is incredibly high risk, but it's just nice that people can still laugh and have a bit of fun. And yeah, I just, I love my grandpa. And that's what I wanted to share is my little bit of positivity. I loved this one. I thought it was such a beautiful way to look at what's going on at the moment. I think a lot of people are very naturally and inherently worried for the elderly people in their life, Mm. for the grandparents in their life. I think there's a lot of stress around that and not just around the health implications of what could happen, but also, I guess, the loneliness that all elderly people would be feeling right now. And I think a lot of people are feeling that burden of wanting to be able to help them, but having no fucking idea how to add much comfort in this point beyond phone calls and and dropping things off. I agree. I think it's really important to try and instill some laughter and positivity as well, because if you are an elderly person or a person in older age, it would be a very scary, difficult time. So any way that we can find to bring joy and laughter into the situation is so needed. I love this message from Taylor. Thank you so much to Anna and Taylor for reaching out this week and to everyone who sent us voicemails. It is an absolute delight to hear shameless listeners and their voices every week. I know. And I just realized when we're talking about light, when it comes to these kinds of stories this week, my younger brother called my grandpa and he was like, Hey, how are you doing? And he was like, I'm all right. I just have a bit of a dry cough and a fever. And Liam just stopped for a second and was like, what? What? <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> I'm joking. And Liam was like, are you answering the phone and answering how are you with this answer every time? And he was like, yes, I've got to entertain myself somehow. <laughs> so not funny. Thank you so much to everybody for dropping those voice notes into our hot box. We are so excited to hear what you guys are going to be dropping for us in the next week or two. So please keep doing it. Hotline at shamelessmediaco.com. Absolutely. That is hotline, not hot box. 
Now, Zara, onto our first segment for the day. We want to talk about the Batuta Advocate because it is something that you and I have not stopped messaging about all friggin' week. Well, I guess not even just this week, Mish. I feel like this is a conversation we've had for a while, but it's become so pronounced for us this week. And very, very quickly, for those who don't know what the Batuta Advocate is, the Batuta Advocate is an Australian satirical website and they literally just take the piss out of everything that's going on in the world, but mainly in Australia. And for you or I, very recently, I'm starting to consider them one of the leading voices of the news at the moment, particularly for young people. And I think that might sound weird because they're a satire site, but I really am starting to believe that they kind of Trojan horse us with satire and are pulling us in for politics. Absolutely. So as Zara just said, they're a satirical media company. They launched in 2014, but I feel like they've really come into their own over the last 12 to 18 months. Like they are the leading force in media for millennials and for Gen Z. Now, what I love when we say they Trojan horse us, I truly believe that because the headlines that they became known for earlier on were very light, very funny, very pop culture-esque. And I'm going to give a few examples for those who potentially haven't come across them or are kind of like familiar with Batuta Advocate but don't follow them on social. So here are some of my all-time favourite Batuta headlines that are very non-political. So the first one, Splendour in the Grass 2018, inundated with thousands of off-duty train drivers. And I have one of those photos of the hats that you wear, Zara, that are like those train driver-esque. fuck you! I feel like the Matuta always nail um, taking the piss out of people who wear hats, which is basically me. That's you. My second favourite headline, local girl breaks world record for stretching her BFF's birthday tribute to over 150 Insta stories. (laughs) In fairness, that's you. (laughs) That is me. Delusional teenager sprays Lynx Africa onto his penis ahead of movie date. And one one of the more recent ones, doctors and nurses even hotter after the whole saving civilization thing. I kind of loved that one. So you're so right. There is a lot on there that's not political at all. And I know we keep using this term, Trojan horse throw, But I do kind of feel like they did an amazing job at pulling us in, pulling young people in particularly with satire, only to become like one of the strongest political voices of our time and of our generation. Like we were sold on jokes and then hit later with politics. I think at the moment when something that serious like a pandemic is going on behind something like the ABC, I would argue that the Batuta Advocate is one of the most important news organisations for young people in the country right now. And I know that sounds like a pretty huge statement to make, but what I've started to think and started to notice more and more, Mish, is that they are across every breaking news story, like just as much as any other news organisation, and they're cracking jokes about it. And that is a very unique thing for millennials, I think, because it very much plays into this idea of FOMO. Because if Mm. you're a millennial who's reading a satire article and everyone else around you is getting around it being like, this is the funniest thing ever, and you have no fucking idea what's going on, you are going to Google that story to try and find out what's going on. So I think it gives millennials this FOMO element to the news where they are almost forced to be across it for fear of falling behind. I completely agree with that. What struck me about Batuta Advocate's role in this pandemic is how much they've probably influenced my own friendship circles. A couple of weeks ago, so many of my guy friends were still going clubbing, still going out to bars. And it was kind of that day, remember when the, those photos of uh, Bondi Beach came out and Bondi Beach was just filled with people despite there being so much health information that we need to be social isolating or physical distancing from each other. My friends were some of those people on those days and I was so happy to wake up on the Sunday morning and see the Batuta Advocate come out completely unapologetically in that they said, basically, you're an idiot. Like if you choose to go out and prioritize yourself right now, you're selfish and you're an idiot. And I love that they- Their language is a little stronger than that. They said dumb cupcakes, but I'm not going (laughs) to- 
We don't use that language over shameless, but I love that they did that because I know for a fact that some of my guy mates would not listen to Nine News, would not listen to the ABC, would not be listening to Corona Cast with Dr. Norman Swan. What about um, Shameless? Would they be listening to that? I don't think they're listening to Shameless, unfortunately, <laughs> no. But they are following Batuta. And when Batuta comes out and takes a completely political stance on it and is completely unapologetic in their stance, it affects people like my guy friends. And I'm so grateful to that because I know for a fact they probably won't listen to anyone else and I was so angry to see them go out and I think the only reason they potentially changed is because cultural leaders like Batuta Advocate took a stand. Well that's exactly right and I think we're talking so much about influence at the moment and who are influencers quote unquote but in terms of influencers like I think they are the greatest influencer we have especially in a time when things are hard and depressing satire is our greatest weapon like it's a way for us to consume news and a message without feeling like someone is lecturing us. And I know, granted, I mean, we should probably be self-aware here in saying that maybe we are saying this because we assume we have similar political leanings to the Batuta Advocate, so it's a bit easier for us to celebrate the political messages that they're selling. That said, I do think that, as you say, in terms of cultural leaders, they have become a huge force and have a huge responsibility. And I guess even better than that, it's clear that they understand that responsibility that comes with their influence. Totally. I want to give some examples of these more political headlines. I went through their feed and gathered a few of course, there are some about the current climate. So one that I saw recently was the headline, World Hopes Boomers Remember Sacrifices Made to Ensure Survival When We Talk About Climate Change Again. I thought that one's really, really good. It got over 30,000 likes because clearly so many young people care about climate change and they want similar action to be taken on the environment. That's hugely important, potentially equally important to the virus that is currently ravaging us all. There was another one, Prime Minister's speechwriter doesn't even know why the fuck he bothers anymore, which I love that one. <laughs> but there are other ones do like remember when the St. Kevin's sexual abuse scandal came out Batuta Advocate published $30,000 per year private school fees still not able to guarantee pedo free education I think it takes me back to my first point in that if anyone wasn't across those stories those pretty huge news stories you're going to bank on the fact that after seeing a headline taking the piss out of the story they're going to be across them now thank you next bitch And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Elizabeth, fine-footed, arched, what? I don't know, Andrews. (laughs) Rose gold. Rose gold. Something else, Andrews, what have you got for me? Thanks, Conrad Sewell, my best <laughs> I actually, I'm looking at myself in this little video thing and I'm like, fuck, there are so many Conrad Sewell vibes right now because I'm wearing like this black denim shirt and <laughs> the buttons are down a bit. Oh, actually, oh, you know what? Fuck it. We'll upload this part to our Instagram feed because we can record the video. I kind of, and my, half my face is cut off. Sorry, I will get onto my first story, but you genuinely look like Conrad Sewell. In a great way. He's beautiful. You're beautiful. Harry it's all St- good. I'm sorry to Conrad, but Harry Styles is way better looking and I wanted that dop. I didn't want Conrad. I can't say that about Conrad Sewell. Well, I can. If you are Conrad Sewell. <laughs> Exactly why I can say it. Go. <laughs> story. My first story. Ellen DeGeneres outed on Twitter as meanest person alive by former staff. That is from who? I fucking hated this story. I hated it too. Do you want to give a bit of background as to what happened? I absolutely can. So what actually happened was it started on Twitter, right? The comedian Kevin T. Porter tweeted out, right now we all need a little kindness. You know, like Ellen DeGeneres always talks about, she's also notoriously one of the meanest people alive. Respond to this with the most insane 
same stories you've heard about Ellen being mean and I'll match everyone with $2 to the LA food bank. Fucking strange. Like strange methodology to try and do good by doing bad. Well, he wasn't doing good. Like I flatly reject that the nastiness and toxicity of this thread was worth a $600 donation to a food bank. I appreciate that he donated any money to charity. He didn't need to do that. But what he certainly didn't need to do is come for a woman on social media at a time when we are all struggling already. To be blunt about it, he asked for people's examples, by the way. So he went on Twitter and said, give me your examples of when Ellen has been an evil or mean person. And a bunch of people shared stories that were second, third, fourth, 1067th hand, where people were like, oh, my hairdresser said this story about her dog walker's boss, where there was absolutely no fact checking around whether a story was true or false. People were encouraged to just spit lies and spit rumors about Ellen DeGeneres. And to be blunt about it, I don't give a fuck if she's a mean person. I don't care. Why is it relevant? Like, okay, yeah, people in the showbiz industry can be a little different off camera to what they are on camera. This is no new information. I would say that the work that Ellen has done on mass completely outweighs any interpersonal interactions that might be a little bit frosty. Well, exactly right. Like, I think you've nailed it when you said, I don't give a fuck if she's nasty. Like, I don't really. And I know that sounds like a strange thing to say, but if she's not outwardly hurting people, like if she's just a very blunt person to be around and kind of a shit boss that doesn't go beyond anything else, that doesn't make her entire workplace toxic, and it may, but that's a completely different discussion. If we're just going on stories of her being mean and blunt and extra and cold, then I don't care. I think it's a terrible, terrible thing to do to encourage these stories about somebody. Like it's just such a tone deaf time for it. It's a really tone deaf time for it. And I was really disappointed to see how quickly people jumped on the bandwagon to try and quote unquote cancel her. And also sorry to parrot what my mum said to me as a kid, but two wrongs don't make a right. How on earth are you a nicer person by encouraging people to come for someone on social media? I think it is egregious behavior. And I think there is absolutely no excuse for it. My second quick and dirty story, Zara, Meghan Markle lands post Meg's job narrating Disney elephant movie. That is from news.com.au. I have no idea what this headline is about. Please explain. You really don't? You didn't see this around? I saw it around, but I don't really care. Like, I'm happy for her. Really happy for her. It's just not, it's like a headline that I'll read and be like, cool, got all the info I need. But you, so then tell me what you think the story is about if you got all the info from the headline. Well, she's landed a job with Disney to narrate an elephant movie. <laughs> <laughs> Post makes it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What's the movie? It's an elephant movie. <laughs> okay, no, it's in- the interesting tidbit, right, about this story is do you remember when they went to the Lion King premiere? And when I say they, I mean Meghan and Harry. Can't and- say I remember that. Is that like an important piece of information? Off. Yes, everyone remembers this because they went to the Lion King premiere, they met Beyonce, and then the Disney person was there. <laughs> everyone okay. knows this and people heard them or li- read them. You so- think everyone knows that Meghan and Harry went to a Lion King premiere with Beyonce and a yes. Disney exec? Yes. Everyone. Yes, because you haven't let me finish because then they met Mr. Disney and it wasn't actually Mr. Disney, but it was somebody high up in Disney and they were overheard pitching Megan for work. They were like, Megan narrates stuff. Do you know that? Except it was Harry. So it was Megan narrates stuff. Do you know that? And then. That was a great accent. You think? I think it, I think it wasn't so good. That was great. <laughs> and now she got a narrator job. The film comes out three days after they officially stepped down. So I wonder if they've had to push out this release because of 
they've got to wait for them to officially step down or if that was already the intended release date. Gotcha. Breaking the fourth wall here, if we're going to be totally honest, because Michelle and I do fucking suck at technology. My computer is at that point right now where it's completely overheating and I'm pretty sure the audio is picking it up. So if you hear an overheating computer, please understand that I'm just working from home and I'm just a gal sitting in a bedroom <laughs> trying her fucking best. If you also hear a man murmuring in the background, my boyfriend Mitch is currently on a work call. So there's that as well. <laughs> Give me a next story. My third story. There's an 84-year-old nonna live streaming pasta making classes from Italy. That is from Broadsheet. That's amazing. I actually only saw the headline for this and I think I got all the info that I need. Give me something Absolutely. else. Absolutely. There's nothing really to say about that. Thank you to everyone who's live streaming really helpful stuff right now. It is keeping me very entertained. If you would like to see some shameless live streams, please let us know. We can absolutely, I don't know what the fuck we do. Just talk. Just kidding. What are our skills? I mean, just talk is our day job, mate. <laughs> I would love people to give us ideas. I mean, I also think that ideas should be our job. But if you've got ideas of what you'd want to see, I'm all ears. Just email hotbox at shamelessmediaco.com. <laughs> I'm kidding. This will actually fuck it up if I keep saying that. Hotline, Hotline. at shamelessmediaco. Hotline. I reckon we should do like a cooking competition or something. Anyway, thank you to that nonna who's live streaming stuff. What a champion. My fourth story, Britney Spears clarifies she is not faster than Usain Bolt. That is from Vulture. It is also from the mind of user Donald, because you wanted to put it in the quick and dirty today. I have no idea why. Why do you care about this story? Because I thought it was funny. There's not much funniness in the world at the moment. And I thought this was one of the funniest stories of the week. Did you not see it around? No, we can't think it's funny until you explain what the fuck is going on to us. Okay. So this week, Britney Spears posted on Instagram saying that she ran her first five, as in five seconds. It was 5.97 seconds. And she said that she ran 100 meters in that time. And everybody what? else turns around being like, Okay, but you saying Bolt runs 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Like, have you just smashed the world record in half? We're all in lockdown, and if so, that's amazing. She deleted the post and came back, being like, "Obviously, I was joking about running 100 meters in 5.97 seconds. The world record is held by Usain Bolt, but you better believe I'm coming for the world record." <laughs> We all need the confidence of Britney Spears right now. So I thought that was a wonderful Instagram post and I did love that for a fleeting moment, people thought that Britney Spears could run faster than Usain Bolt. Look, if you had told me at the beginning of the year what's more likely, you'll all be completely isolated because a killer virus is on the loose or Britney breaks the record for the 100-metre sprint, I'd probably go with Britney. That's actually not a bad point. My final story for today, BBC Dad is back on live TV with his kids to bring joy to our lives just when we need it. That is from Junkie. Zara, do you remember the BBC dad? Of course I remember Mr. BBC dad. Oh, I reckon I watched that video of his daughter barging into his study <laughs> while he was on a, um, I don't know what the, was it BBC? Oh yeah, no, it was fucking BBC. <laughs> it was a BBC no, it wasn't episode. BBC. <laughs> and she just, she didn't just barge in, she, she danced in. She kind of held her it was arms like up a, like this. It was like a toddle. Like if I was coming in, it'd be like, Oh, yeah, you did it way better than I did. She toddled into that fucking meeting. What did they do when they um went back on TV? I think that it was just like kind of like a reenactment. It was just him back with his kids and his wife on camera because my favourite thing about the original video was the wife barging through the door, like clearly knew her husband was on this very important televised interview, barged through the door and like clawed her daughter back. That was my favourite part. And then the door was open. You could see her like wrangling the kids. I'm so fucking glad this guy is back on our television screens because this is the wholesome content we all need right now. Quick tangent as well. This is going to be the world's longest episode because also breaking the fourth wall. How many fourth walls can we break in this one episode? Let's is break all many? the fourth walls. Why not? Go for it. We don't have a clock timer. <laughs> Oh, sorry. 
I'm hearing so many noises outside my room, which like are not conducive to a podcast studio. So if you're hearing like ambient noise, here we go. I this is like rough and tumble. No, Michelle and I have no fucking idea how long this has been going on for and we just keep bringing up tangents. But what I was going to say is Jules Von Hepp, who we interviewed on the podcast the other week, posted on Instagram this really funny collection of stories that he got people to submit about things that had happened when their partner was on a conference call in the last week. Because <laughs> as I said, everybody's living with people on conference calls. And some of the responses was so funny. I will pop a link to that Instagram post in my show notes because it brought me so much joy this week. Is that all you've got for me? That is all I've got. Coming up after the break, we need to talk about Taylor and Kimye. Then we need to talk about the expectation that we will apparently self-optimize in the midst of a pandemic. But first, it's time for a word from our sponsors. Well, 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 the never-ending feud between Kim Ye, that's Kim Kardashian, and her husband Kanye West, for those playing at home, and Taylor Swift has kicked up a notch again, with Kardashian taking to her Twitter feed this week to call Swift a liar over that now infamous phone call for West's 2016 single, Famous. Before we jump in and give all of our thoughts, Zara, let me read out some of Kim's tweets so that we are all on the same page here. At Taylor Swift, she wrote, has chosen to reignite an old exchange that at this point in time feels very self-serving given the suffering millions of real victims are facing right now. I didn't feel the need to comment a few days ago and I'm actually really embarrassed and mortified to be doing it right now, but because she continues to speak on it, I feel I'm left without a choice but to respond because she's actually lying. Soon after Zara, the public did not respond well to Kim Kardashian's comments on this and the hashtag Kim Kardashian is over party began trending worldwide. Right. Give me all of your thoughts. I mean, I have a few thoughts if you don't mind listening to them, but I guess that's your job too. <laughs> I I was initially, to be totally honest with you, completely intrigued as to how this story managed to break through. I feel mm. like there's been this very tight, almost glass around the virus that shall not be named coverage. And no other story, no pop culture story, no celebrity story has been able to smash through that. This was the story that was able to. I guess I wanted to know initially, Mish, before we actually get into the story, why you think that's the case? Well, look, they're two of the biggest celebrities in the world. Yes, there has been a complete virus that shall not be named washout right now. Obviously, it's what we're all dealing with. But I think we also want some reprieve. Like, I've been desperate for any kind of sugary celebrity story to give me a break from the clusterfuck that is life right now. And if Kim Kardashian and Taylor Swift as two of the most followed women on the planet are going to go head to head in a feud again, then I'm 100% on board. Like, I was very much following this when hashtag Kanye West is over party and hashtag Kim Kardashian is over party were trending. Like, I was on board from the beginning. And obviously, last week we covered this, but I think the fact that it then kicked up again and Kim Kardashian chose to go on a Twitter tirade makes it one of the most interesting celebrity stories of the week because Kim Kardashian seems to be very manipulative to me right now. I know that sounds harsh, but as far as this story and this narrative goes, she has been manipulative almost every step of the way. And for her to say that she was basically forced to talk about this now and forced to go on this Twitter tirade about it because Taylor Swift and I quote, continues to speak on it, seems completely exaggerated in that Taylor Swift does not continue to speak on anything. Her publicist released a statement and then Taylor Swift basically said, I'm not going to talk about it. Swipe up for something that's more important. And that swipe up was to a list of charities to donate to for vulnerable people who are really going to struggle with the effects of the virus that shall not be named. And I do want to know, do you think that's really unfair to have a post like that that is genuinely wanting to do good 
be twisted and reframed as something that was stirring up drama. Because what I interpreted that post as doing is taking a really shitty situation and a really shitty example of celebrity feuding and turning it into something that's for the greater good. I mean, it's interesting that you ask that because it's not actually something I've thought of through this entire story. Like it's not something that I've thought of when I've consumed any amount of content on the story. If I had to give you an answer right now, my answer would probably be yes. I mean, she cut up this video and fed it to the world to tell a tale that she wanted to tell, which with hindsight doesn't seem like the most accurate tale at all. It is so, so curious to me that Kim Kardashian is coming off so terribly in this story because it seems so rare that a Kardashian can come off very terribly in a story. I think there was a really interesting piece in The Guardian this week, Mish, by Joel Golby, which was hilarious. It was like the sugariest, funniest piece I've read in a long time. And he wrote, it's actually quite fascinating how badly Kardashian has played this one because normally the dynasty is so good at upselling bad news in a way that just makes them richer and more adored. I agree with that. I think they've come off so poorly, every single Kardashian who's been involved in this. I think the way they have intentionally misinterpreted this argument has blown me away in that the line of argument that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West have taken from day one when this all began in 2016 is that Taylor Swift lied about there being a phone call. And Taylor Swift never lied. She always said there had been a phone call. So the fact they're still wheeling out that argument that They've said that Taylor Swift lied about the phone call is just wrong. The initial statement that was released on the first day of this argument in 2016 was from Taylor Swift's publicist, which read, Kanye did not call for approval, but to ask Taylor to release his single famous on her Twitter account. It's like the Kardashians either read that really quickly and read the line, Kanye did not call, or they're intentionally misinterpreting it, which is what I think, because that statement says he didn't call for approval. He called to ask her for a shout out on Twitter. They acknowledged that there was a phone call from day one. Well, I agree with you. I think there is definitely some intentional misinterpreting going on because I do feel like when you're backed into a corner and you feel like you have nowhere else to go, you just twist people's words. And I think that's what people naturally do in human arguments. I thought what was really interesting to me through this entire story is how sympathetic the press were to Taylor Swift. And it's not often that you see every major news outlet kind of backing Taylor Swift on this one over Kim Kardashian. For example, Brian Rowley wrote for Forbes this week, Swift just struck a crucial blow in the biggest celebrity grudge match of the decade and for her not to rub salt in the wound when it could have been so easy is admirable. Kardashian, on the other hand, perfunctorily acknowledged the countless people suffering around her before launching into a self-aggrandizing tirade that nobody asked for, all while pretending Swift strong-armed her into it. Like the tone that's used there by journalists, the words that are used there are really telling to me in how much Taylor Swift's reputation has been repaired in the last six months. See, it's interesting you say that because I'm not sure that Taylor Swift's reputation can be repaired. I think for people following this story really closely, yes. For those like you and I or for those who are pop culture junkies who will just consume this stuff with voracious interest, absolutely her reputation has been stitched up a little bit or patched up. But for the average person who would have come across this feud in 2016 and kind of heard that it's been reignited now would not look into it enough to know that Taylor Swift has been vindicated. And therefore, 
I feel like this will really stick to all of their reputations, Taylor Swift more so than Kimye, in that people will remember that she involved herself in a feud that lasted and is still going four years on. And I know that is so unfair and I wish that was not the case because I think Taylor Swift is almost completely innocent in this story. But the matter of fact is, is that it's not good for any celebrity's reputation to be renowned as someone who's constantly in feuds, particularly given that Taylor Swift has had a long running, now ended, but long running feud with someone like Katy Perry. It is now attached to Taylor Swift's public image that she is a pop star who will get into feuds for personal gain or for publicity reasons, to sell albums, to then generate income from it through writing songs about it. Like Taylor Swift has profited off this feud and that she's written so many songs about Kanye West or about Kim Kardashian. And I don't think she'll ever completely free herself from the reputational damage that this feud has done. I mean, I kind of agree with you. I don't think she will, but I don't see why this is a different argument to any celebrity story ever. Like there is a lot of misinformation about celebrities that sticks to celebrities that isn't fair. Like this is so not an anomaly. I do think, unfortunately, she did have a feud with Katy Perry that doesn't paint this in a particularly good light because it looks like she has form. Even though I don't think she does, that is unfortunate. I also think when you said you and I know she's vindicated people who are interested in pop culture and Taylor Swift know she's vindicated and the rest of the world doesn't, the rest of the world also doesn't really give a fuck. Like if they're not Googling about this shit or reading this shit, they don't really care enough to know about Taylor Swift's reputation. And most people who don't consume Taylor Swift's stuff or are interested in her music or watch her documentary probably will make snap judgments like they do with any celebrity ask anyone on the street about any celebrity and they will have a snap judgment about whether they like them or don't based on completely like nonsensical stories and misinformation true but taylor swift is different taylor swift is probably the most ubiquitous celebrity in the world definitely the most ubiquitous pop star and people have opinions on taylor swift you either love her or you hate her very similar to kim kardashian but i think the mistake you're making is assuming that it's only because of this one story that Taylor Swift has a poor reputation. Like, yes, this had a huge impact on her reputation, but I think if you watch Miss Americana, you realise there were a whole facet of things that gave her a poor reputation in the eyes of the public. One of them was for saying nothing on politics. Very true, very true. I do want to talk to you about the analogy that Joel Golby used to describe Taylor Swift in his Guardian profile. Did you like this? This was the best thing ever. I don't care if you read it from top to tail. That's what I want to do. I want to read it because Joel Golby is not a Taylor Swift fan, but was very sympathetic to Taylor's experience of this feud in his story. And he described her as Marmite, or in Australia, we might call it Vegemite. Here's a rough Marmite analogy for you, Joel Golby wrote. Swift is the semi-popular yeast spread Marmite in that if you love her, you love her with an intensity that blocks out the sun. If you don't, she leaves you utterly cold. But because her songs constantly loop on the A-list of society, you cannot escape Marmite. And now you're starting to get really rubbed up the wrong way by Marmite. Every Friday afternoon, all the people in the office take control of the shared kitchen and make you eat a slice of bread and Marmite. At every wedding you're at, there is a tangible point in the evening when everyone, fuzzy, drunk and joyful, kicks their shoes off and loudly heaps an entire spoon of Marmite into your mouth. Every time you tell someone you don't like Marmite, they bore on you for ages about how much umami her new album adds to stews and bolognese's. At this point, you cannot avoid Marmite because every advert is for Marmite and every time Marmite releases a new jar, every headline is about Marmite and how Marmite did that. Despite not even liking Marmite, you somehow know about Marmite's thing with Tom Hiddleston where he wore that vest. <laughs> this 
is so good. Actually, one of the best things I read all week, I think we should pop this article in the show notes because it brought me so much joy. He also had this other really beautiful line. I mean, we're probably going to put this in the show notes. We've just read this entire article on the podcast. (laughs) He said, it's hard not to gestures at current reality, be constantly thinking about, you know, rather more pressing matters, the cleanliness of door handles, for example, the intensity of other people's coughs or how far to veer away from each other on pavements while out on your government mandated walk, whether you have enough food in the cupboards to last two weeks, whether daytime TV will ever go back to normal, how deeply we can possibly scrape the bottom of the Netflix barrel, how desperate for entertainment we will have to be to plunge ourselves into going on YouTube and watching a vlog. Right now, these are my worries. It's nice of Kim Kardashian to try to distract me with something totally and utterly facile and pointless at a time of global crisis. That is how I feel right now. I don't even care if I come to zero fucking conclusion on this story. All I want to do is dive into it and be consumed by it. We needed a celebrity story and this was the one that we were craving without even knowing we were craving it. Like I'm actually grateful to Kim, Kanye and Taylor for reinvigorating this because I needed anything that wasn't about the virus that shall not be named. So God bless you, Kim Ye and Taylor. This is what I needed. I love you. Bring out more. Bring more. <laughs> Bring more leaked recordings. I don't even care if you make them up. <laughs> Three, two, one. It was really only a matter of time. Yep, this week, the homepage of the New York Times' app led with a story headlined, Be Productive in Seven Days, Inclusive of Tips to Work More Efficiently and Effectively Than Ever. It lives alongside other conversations happening on the internet about what we're all going to do while we are in self-isolation, perhaps learn an instrument, a language, to knit. It seems fitting in a world obsessed with how we best make use of our time that the pressure would start to emerge of how best we are using our time off. But is this the most unhealthy message we can possibly send to people who are just trying to get through the day? Mish, tell me what you've seen around about this. I've seen this everywhere. I have seen it all over my Instagram feed. So many Instagram influencers sprouting the idea that now is the time to start a business or now is the time to start a side hustle that we apparently have free time. I've also seen like on top of that New York Times article that you just spoke about then, Zara, Forbes have published a raft of articles this week about how to stay productive. And I get that Forbes is a business publication and it's their job to kind of keep people in that work frame of mindset. But some of the headlines have just really rubbed me the wrong way. How to stay productive under quarantine and nine tips to be productive when working at home during COVID-19. Now, I get it. I get why people do this. But at the same time, I don't think this is free time. I don't consider what we're going through right now to be a holiday where you should prioritize being productive as possible. If anything, now is a time to take a breath and prioritize your mental health more than anything. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's been a pretty overwhelming message to see around. The first thing that I wanted to touch on too is there is absolutely a distinction to be made here between finding distractions in these periods because I think distractions are crucial to our sanity and also feeling the need to be productive and make use of that Mm. time. And I think our... I think I want to kind of zero in on that sense of productivity and how Mm. it's so pervasive these days. So much of the thought process is, well, when will we ever have this much time again? Or when will we ever be in a period like this again? Seize the day, like seize the period, seize the time, which is true to a point. But also when you've got that much time and there's so much going on, this is exactly the time that we need to be gentle on ourselves. And those kind of conversations that are happening about how to use the time to the best of your ability are really, really damaging 
it kind of plays into this burnout culture that we've been a part of for so long, but it's just transcending work time to time off, but it's not even time off. You know what I mean? Well, this is the thing, right? We're watching people that we love lose their jobs, either get sick or lose their jobs and then go through these internal crises. We're turning on the television or logging onto social media apps and just seeing so much negativity and sad news around the framing of this time as being like the one time in your life where you're going to get a break and you're going to be able to do whatever you want is just completely ignoring the current climate. Like this is not a break. It's not that at all. And I think as someone with anxiety, I often avoid my anxiety by being busy. And I think I've never had to face that more than in the last week that my anxiety is managed most of the time by being so busy that I don't have time to think about it. And the past week of my life, I have not been able to be busy. Like, yeah, I've, I've got shameless media and we're doing lots of work with that and that's great but I can't then finish work and go out and meet friends or go see my family or go do the things I would normally do to fill my plate and when I have a relatively empty plate that's when my mental illness really flares up and I think it's been very confronting for me to face the fact that my anxiety and my mental health is so tied in with this idea of productivity and always being busy. And I think that's something so many people in our generation have swallowed, that you have to be busy and you have to be productive above everything else. And it's been a huge struggle. I think we so closely tie this idea of laziness with shame. And I do feel shame. If I'm not actively doing things that better myself or I guess achieve self-optimization, I feel shame and I feel guilt about that. Have you felt guilty this week? Yeah, totally. And it's a a complete rewiring, I think, of me considering how I use my time. I do feel like there's a lot of shame associated with both laziness and, you know, if you're not being productive. And I think that's incredibly overwhelming for a lot of people. Mm. That said, I still feel a little bit like a hypocrite because I am trying in the last week or so to say to myself, it's okay if you don't really do anything with your day. And when I say don't really do anything with your day, if all your days kind of blend into one because you're just showing up for work, going for a walk, eating dinner and going to bed, like there's not much else going on beyond that. And yet when someone very close to me was stood down from work uh, last week, I remember the first thing I said to them was, well, what are you going to do with this time? And I think it's like we try to treat it as a silver lining. And I guess that's where it's coming from. People are trying to say, it's not all negative. We've got all this time. This is the silver lining. But there is sort of uh, a point where that conversation goes too far and puts pressure on people. Because I said to this person, what are you going to do? Are you going to study? Are you going to volunteer? Like, what are you going to do with this time? When in reality, I should have said, take this time to breathe. Yeah. Start painting and be really shit at it. Or start baking (laughs) and be really shit at that. I think it needs to be a reframing to focusing on hobbies. I think our generation has potentially lost the beauty of hobbies and just finding things that are joyful to you and not doing them to be great at it, doing it because you enjoy it. And I certainly know that. I can't really name a hobby that's a true hobby without me wanting to be successful at it. Like I want to, over the coming weeks, hopefully just like begin painting or begin baking. Like later today, I want to bake an entire batch of cookies even though I'm not particularly good at it, I just think the baking will be a good form of respite for my mind. But I don't want to sit down at my laptop and answer every single email and get all of this work done because I'm not actually in the mental space to do it right now. And I think in general, we need to be gentler on ourselves. We've already had to deal with 
normalcy and what our normal lives look like being flipped upside down. And that is enough in itself. If you need to take the next six weeks, six months to grapple with a new normal, that is so more than enough. And I think as well, Zara, it makes me think the question we ask at the end of every In Conversation episode of what is success to you? My definition of success has changed so much in the last few weeks that my definition of success right now is just finding joy in small pockets of the day. Success to me is not reaching a new set of downloads with Shameless or securing a new sponsor or doing anything to do with my career at all. Success to me right now is just managing my anxiety and managing my mental illness. It is actually a very interesting question because I feel that deeply right now. I've been thinking about that a lot in the last couple of days. What is success to me right now? And to me, success right now would be making peace with doing a five or six hour workday per day. Mm-hmm. And it sounds a bit of a strange thing to say, but what I've been trying to do with my mind is saying, okay, you don't have to work as much as you usually do. This is the time to take care of yourself because I'm not concentrating very well when I'm working. Like, I can't lie about that. I'm really struggling to get started with work in the mornings and that's not a problem I've ever really had. But I think when you feel so overwhelmed by the news cycle, you almost feel paralyzed when it comes Mm. to concentrating and trying to do work. So I really want to be able to make peace with a five or six hour workday and not consider myself lazy and not consider the fact that I'm taking my foot off the pedal, but just doing everything I can to invest in myself my mental health and I guess my sense of survival. Yeah, well, it's not even taking your foot off the pedal. It's feeling okay with parking the fucking car right now and not feeling the need to drive anywhere or accelerate. Like, ultimately, it's a matter of there is no right way to do this. None of us have ever grappled with anything like this before unless you're, what, 95 years old. We are all dealing with something that is entirely unknown and entirely new and entirely different. And that's okay. Like, whatever you're doing right now, whether that's starting a new business or painting all day or napping four times a day, that's totally fine. You do not have to deal with this in the same way that other people are. And the more we compare ourselves and the more we put pressure on ourselves to self-optimize, the more this will be held for all of us. Like we just need to be gentle on ourselves and accept that whatever happens over the next six weeks or six months is fine. Like you are okay to handle this in whatever way is best for you. Well, it feels like this guilt that we have all felt about living our lives. And I do feel like our generation feel this a fuckload of guilt about living life. Like they always feel like they're doing things wrong. Am I working too much? Am I working not enough? Am I hanging out with my friends enough? Am I not drinking enough? And am I not being fun enough? Has suddenly translated to this period too because of articles that say be more productive in seven days or how to structure your day when you're working from home. And it's like now is the time to do it however you need to do it. I think Mm. now is the time to structure your day in whichever way you need to in order to survive. And I think the more we can spread that message, the better our mental health will be for everybody. We will check back in down the track and see how we're actually going. Maybe that drive to do stuff and pursue things will come back to me. But for now, I am the definition of a couch potato. So am I. And I love it. Also, maybe in six months, we'll um, be better at this remote recording thing. But hey, (laughs) thank you for listening to our first ever remotely recorded episode of Shameless. This was a little more painful than I thought it was going to be. But Mish, we made it. We made it. It's been lovely being in your bedroom and in my bedroom all Mm. at once. So thank you so much for listening. This has been a ride, Zara. technological issues but that is fine we will work through it please know as well if you are worried about where shameless might be going while we are on self-isolation it will not be going anywhere we are cooking up some plans at the moment to make sure we are getting monday and thursday episodes out to you every single week we do not plan on anything changing despite the world changing we want shameless to remain the same so well small things might have to change but yes small things will change but on the whole shameless will be here we will still be dropping at 5 a.m on mondays 
Thursdays. That will not be changing. You have our word. You absolutely do. Thank you so, so much again. We will be back in your ears as always on Thursday. In the meantime, we'll be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.